They're scrambled. Usually get a good look at it. Shots blocked by Shea Gilgis Alexander. Rookie against rookie. Patrick Beverly joins us on SportsCenter. He plays on the best team in L.A. Great five seconds. Zimmer's bringing in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! What up guys, welcome back to Clippers Pulse. As usual, it's your boy Adam, and today I'm joined by Ethan Smith from Clipperholics. How you doing, Ethan? Doing great. What about yourself, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Looking forward to game five. But let's look let's talk about game four for a bit. So how did you think that game went in as a whole? I mean, well, like when you get to I mean, around the third quarter when we had a one, I think it was like an eight point lead at one point. That was really where I was thinking, hey, they might actually pull us off. And I mean, like we were talking before, Shea Gilgis Alexander, that was ridiculous what he was doing at such a young age. And I mean, only his, what, fourth playoff game? He was going, I mean, realistically, he was just going off, and he was just playing like a veteran point guard. And it was, but as a whole, I mean, Lou Williams could have did a little bit more. The whole team could have done a little bit more in the fourth quarter, but I mean, it's just unfortunate when you're playing four All Stars. Yeah, it doesn't help. The with Shea, I mean, that guy went off. It was a career high, fourth playoff game against the Warriors to boot. Uh, he yep. was just everywhere on the court. When you look at the fourth, he was actually sitting for a lot of that, and Doc was kind of trying to force the the Lou Willem Montrez pick and roll, and just was having no success. It was one of the only times during the year, really, where I felt that Doc should have made an adjustment and he didn't. Yeah, I agree. Like, I was, I mean, there was a lot of adjustments that could have been made, like Gallinari shooting 5 for 20. He could have been off the floor a lot less than, I'm looking at the box score, 36 minutes. I mean, Shea and Lou Williams had pretty much the same amount of minutes, but honestly, I think Shea got more minutes in that game. The way he was playing, you got to ride the hot hand in the playoffs. I mean, it doesn't matter who the guy is. You look at it last year with New Orleans and Portland when they rode Drew Holiday with Anthony Davis on the floor, but Drew Holiday was the reason they were winning games. So you just got to eventually put what you've done all season to the side and throw your hot hand out there. Yeah, and Shamit as well. I felt like Shamit should have seen the floor a bit more. He yeah. was finding open space quite a lot during the third. He hit some decent shots. He hasn't been outstanding, but he's been solid for a rookie during the playoffs. But Gallo, for me personally, I'm kind of ready to say bye to Gallo. Yeah, and I mean, at Clipperholics, we have this guy, Ryan, who loves playing with all these little trades and stuff, and there was one that he was playing with where I think it was Gallinari and the Miami pick for Steven Adams. And I mean, realistically, the cap works, so you wouldn't have to add a bad contract into it for either team. And I mean, Gallinari's a great guy, but I think him being the number one scorer right now, it's just not what he's used to, especially even when he was in Denver. He was never really the number one scorer. And I think being put in that spot in that game, shooting 20 times, he just wasn't ready for it. Especially not against the D as well-coached and solid as Golden State. But yeah. no, I think that would be a solid trade. It's been made glaringly obvious through this series that we do need to upgrade at the five, and yeah. Adams would be a perfect fit. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is with Adams in Oklahoma City is he's playing with guys like Paul George and Russ who like to move fast and pace in space. He's not really the pace in space guy. He's more of a Montrezl Harrell kind of guy where he'll give 
a shooter, let's say like Landry Shamit, really good picks, and then he gets rolled in the basket, Shamit shoots a three, and like you were talking about with Shamit, I mean, that could be good for him too to have another center on the floor that can actually like give him good looks. Like, I mean, you look at Curry with Andrew Bogut, Andrew Bogut's sole entire, like, like his whole thing is literally just give guys, and I think that Steven Adams would be a guy, like, that could do that. Another guy I was looking at, it wouldn't be a trade, it'd be a signing, though, was Vucevic. Would you mm-hmm. prefer Adams over Vucevic, or would you prefer oh. the other way around? I would, I would love Vucevic just because he can stretch the floor, especially if you sign a guy like Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you have two guys like Kawhi Leonard and Vucevic who can shoot from anywhere. I mean, if you have a five that can shoot from anywhere in the NBA, I mean, look at the Sixers right now with Joel Embiid and Nuggets with Jokic. Those guys are virtually unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at a, diff- a few different free agents today who would be available what yeah. trade packages could work afterwards to try and still move Gallo off the books just to yeah. free up the cap space to kind of try and keep Bev, try and keep yeah. the core together a little bit. Now, with Gallo, because he'll be in the last year of his contract, he's going to be a valuable contract anyway, yeah. especially to a rebuilding team. Yeah. Now, my thing is, is um, would they be willing to trade him on draft night to try to trade into the draft to get, say, like a bowl bowl kind of player or a Jonte Porter there's another stretch big that's young and just develop them and then still go after that guy like Vucevic or Adams while they groom the other guy. Kind of like they were doing with Beverly and Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the beginning of the season where they were kind of like letting them play a little bit. I think that'd be a good idea. Maybe trade them on draft night for like less value, but just get that contract off. But have a guy like Jonte Porter or Bol Bol or Bruno Fernando, who can go in there and be a young, like, good center, like Angel Delgado did in the G League this year. I mean, if you get, you got to start getting these younger guys that are going to be more prop for the NBA, rather than having guys like Gallo who really don't fit into the NBA the way it's going in the next five years. Yeah, and it's contract control as well. It's having that young asset on a long-term deal with a low salary that helps with the fl- the cap flexibility. Because the 2020 class doesn't look terrible either for free agency. No. So you start looking at, we're talking about bringing in some bigs. Me personally, I think that's one of the weakest points on the team. But where does that leave Zubac? Uh, I mean, Zubac, is Zubac going to free agency this summer? I think he's restricted. Restricted? I might be wrong. I'll check that up. Um, and again, I mean, you've seen it with Zubac in this series. He's kind of been that guy who's struggled up defensively. Like when Kevin Durant or somebody comes into the paint and drives on him, it's just something he struggles with, even with like the frame he has. And I mean, he didn't even play in game four. So that kind of gives me an indication that he might be one of those guys that we treat as a developmental project before we treat him as a actual starting big like we were before. Because, I mean, you know Montrez Harrell, he's going to want to come off the bench. That's, like, what he likes to do. So you got to get a guy who, I mean, you got to have, a, like, a good five in there. Like, DeAndre Jordan was a good starting five when he was in L.A. you got to get another guy like that. Yeah, just to confirm, Zubac is indeed a restricted free agent. And if somebody makes him an offer, then I'm happy for him to go. He's been exposed a lot, but he's yeah. young. Bigs do take a bit of time to develop in the NBA. But I do yeah. feel like we need to be looking, like you said, 
more of a stretch five that can open the floor. And that'll help Shea as well. When people are having to pull out a bit more, it opens the lane up for him. Williams will feast stuff that too. And the thing is with Zubac too, is that like if we lose him, it's not like we're losing a lot of value from it because we didn't really trade a lot for him. We traded Mike Muscala for Zubac. It wasn't like we traded somebody that of immense value for him or a really good pick for him. It was just, okay, here's a player swap that we got really lucky on. Yeah, exactly. He's done well. He's done really well in the regular season. Well, not really well, but he's done good in the regular season. Um, I've been championing for Jermichael Green to start over him as a bit of a smaller starting lineup. I think that he's had a really good series and he can hold his head up high at the end of the season. Yeah. And I mean, he started in game four, but he only took two shots, which to me is a little concerning because I thought that he could have got more shots. And he was only like one of the, I believe, like one of two or three starters to have a plus, a uh, positive plus minus. And he I matches mean, up well. He does match up really well against Golden State. Yeah, because I mean, he he can match it. He can basically guard any of the starters on the floor except like Curry. And I mean, that's you. I mean, I noticed that too with Beverly as they threw Beverly on him a lot more than they threw him on Durant. But I think Jermichael Green is a really good setup against Durant. Obviously, we had issues in three game three and four with Durant, but I'd love to bring him back in the summer on a like decent deal. Now, if he asked for like 10 mil or a year or something, I wouldn't want to give that to him. But Jermichael Green is one of those guys that I really like because he can stretch the floor and he just kind of goes out there and gives you quality minutes. So what would you be looking at? Like a six to eight million dollar a year range over like two to three years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, like so about, yeah, about two years, 16 mil, maybe with a team option just to see how he works in the new system that we're going to have next year. Because I mean, it's no, it's no stranger to anyone that this team, regardless of if we get top three agents or not, it's going to look different. Oh yeah, for like, sure. Whether or not we get one of the two, or uh, Durant or Kawhi, or we go for the the B tier talent, as you'd call it, which are still solid players. Oh, now yeah. another I mean, guy I was looking at is how would you feel if we made a run at Looney and had him coming off the bench? Come on, Looney. I mean, yeah. you've seen what he's done for you've seen what he's done for Golden State and some of those some of the minutes he's been. I mean, he'll just come on, sit in the paint, and I mean, a lot of times, with especially with a team like Golden State, especially if we were to sign a scratch big, I mean, he can just sit there and every time they come out, he can just go straight to the paint and have easy buckets. And I'm one of those people where two pointers win games, two pointers and free throws win games, and three pointers flash. And, I mean, if you look at it a lot of times, free throws in that game killed us too, but if you look at it a lot of times, especially with a guy like Kevon Mooney, he's just going to go out there and get you easy buckets when he needs to. He's not going to try to do more than he knows how to. So I would love a guy like that. Yeah, I think he'd be a solid rotation piece coming off the bench. He'd really complement the, the style of play for the team and what Ducks trying to implement. So a big oh, yeah. talking point on the podcast lately, uh, pretty much since its inception, has been Patrick Beverly and whether or not we're going to try and bring him back. Because the way he's played this year and what he brings to the team defensively, like boy, he's going to get a big offer somewhere. Yeah, and um, I mean, I would bring him back just because, I mean, there's certain guys on teams that when you think of a team, that's the first guy you think of. And I think he's kind of, even with Lou Williams having seasons Lou Williams has had, I believe, like, if you ask somebody, if you think, like, 
who's the first player that comes to mind when you think about the Clippers? It's Patrick Beverly. Just the way he plays, just the way he does everything. I mean, a lot of the culture that we've developed where, hey, like these guys were basically castaways and now they're all in the playoffs, that came from him. Would you like to have him and pair him up with Butler? Because the defensive intensity on that team then would be crazy. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, if you put, I mean, if you have a lineup of Shea Gilgis Alexander, Patrick Beverly, Jimmy Butler, Sage of Michael Green starting, and then Vucevic, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, no, no team's getting an easy game against those guys. There's not one in the league. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting any other team in the league and saying they're going to have a comfortable game. And that team right there would remind me a lot of uh, Toronto right now. I mean, you look at Toronto's starting five, and there's not a guy in the starting five that I, if I'm in a matchup with them, I'm like, yeah, I can go score on. And that's the kind of team I think the Clippers need to be next year. And obviously getting Kawhi Leonard would be the end game in that. But if you get a guy like Jimmy Butler who's going to sit there and he's, I mean, he's just going to go out there and play defense and get like 20, 25 a night, especially if he's the primary scorer. And I mean, you add him to already having Patrick Beverly. And, I mean, Jermichael Green's not a bad defender either. So you just add any guy who knows how to go out there and just stop opposing offenses. That's just a scary thing. It'd be an amazing starting five. And then if you can add someone like a Looney or yeah. bring or trade Gallo for a young piece that you know that maybe develops into a three and D or a big man that can yeah. grab some boards, it just solidifies the second unit. Because sometimes I feel like if Lou's off, if he's not having a good game, which is rare, but yeah. it does happen, the second unit's kind of flat. Yeah. And I mean, he kind of runs that second unit in most aspects. Like, the second unit moves with Lou in a way. I mean, if there's a Lou will, there's a way, pretty much. I, mean, I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, you have to have other guys. I mean, Harold's proved this series. He's averaging like 20 a game. He's proved, hey, I can score with him too. But Harold can only do so much with the way he plays. So you have to have another guy that can come off the bench that can just go out there and score. Albeit, however you figure that out, getting it through the draft in a second, maybe. I mean, there's been good second-round picks that just go out there and play on the bench in the NBA or very soft players. But however you do it, you just got to get somebody. And I think he's a free agent this offseason, but I wouldn't mind bringing in J.R. Smith. I mean, just having him come off the bench with those, like with a guy like Lou Williams, just run, run amok and just score. I mean, sometimes you just need more guys and one option to score. Yeah, I agree. I think J.R. Smith, I, I hadn't even considered him. Uh, I think he'd be a fantastic pickup. He'd help space the floor. He oh, can yeah. hit good shots. And having those two along with Montrez running the pick and roll, it would just oh, yeah. give the team an extra dynamic. It would give him an extra dynamic, and it would also give Lou Williams this idea that he did 20 shots a game off the all the time. The guy's a foul magnet, though. Every like oh, yeah. The guy just... Had, Draws Every fouls out of thin air. It's fantastic to watch. Every time, yeah, I know it's it's ridiculous. He'll just go to the paint. And it's like you almost expect it to like expect it to be a foul, and that's just something that not a lot of players do. Dude, I like Lou Williams that much. I flew out to LA just to get the bobblehead when it was his six man of the year game back in November, October. I wish I'm in Augusta. <laughs> I'm in, or I'm in Savannah, Georgia, so it's really hard for me to get to LA. 
Yeah, dude, it was like a 12 and a half hour flight. It was a joke. But I got the bobblehead, so I'm chill. Oh, but, yeah, I'd be chill too. <laughs> but no, Lou's a good good guy, man. I like watching him play. So looking and he's over. At, right now. Pardon? A lot of people always forget that he's really affordable right now. He's only on an 8 mil contract. I think yeah. it's three years, 24 million. I mean, it's not like he's making an absurd amount of money. And this is the worry with Beverly. Like, Beverly's only made around 25 million in his career. So when you're looking yeah. at a guy that's about to hit free agency and you know what he brings to your team defensively and he's not a terrible three-point shooter, contract offers are going to come in and a big decision needs to be made in regards whether we want to, you know, match or up that offer to keep him. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that could always happen too is we could always talk to him prior to like free agency and say, hey, look, obviously we're prioritizing getting this guy, this guy, and this guy first. Would you be willing to take less money to come play for a good team? Like a team, one, that you're already familiar with the front office and most of the players there, but two, a team that's going to be better. It'd be kind of pitching to a free agent already, like before free agency even starts. We're not going to get into tampering and stuff because you can't really tamper with your own player, but no, it's I true. The only other yeah. two teams I really hear thrown around um, with major interest, and this is just from reading articles and talking to yeah. guys on Twitter and Reddit, is the Suns and the Kings. Both of those are in a worse situation than the Clippers right now. So it just depends what he prioritizes personally. Yeah. And I mean, the Suns are going to have a top three pick no matter what, pretty much. And they're going to probably get John Morant with that pick. So that would automatically put Beverly on the back burner terms of what Phoenix would be doing in guard. And then the Kings already have De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, which means Beverly might get like 15 to 20 minutes a night. But I mean, if he comes back to LA where we have Shea Gilgis Alexander, Shamat, and pretty much Rodney Magruder, he's going to get minutes. Do you feel like we need to aim for a, another point guard during free agency, like a low-tier mid-level point guard? Um, I mean... I would say yes, but, I mean, I don't really know who's out there, per se. Like, I know, I think it's, I know Sadoransky from Washington is out there. I think George Hill is out there. There's a few guys out there that would interest me, but I think we would have to pay them a little more than we would have to pay Beverly, and I would rather pay Patrick Beverly a lot less money than having to pay another guy money. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'd rather have Beverly on the team as he already knows the system. There's no integration process to go through. Yeah, and it's not like you have to sit there and groom the guy like, oh, yeah, this is how he works. Second. And the thing is with Beverly, too, is a lot of those backup guards, they like to score off the bench. Beverly doesn't really care. He's just like, okay, well, I already know these guys are going to like put in their points. So here I am pretty much saying, okay, I can just play good defense and get them buckets and then get my occasional shots and still make a decent amount of money and be on a winning team. And that's what it needs to be about. I mean, we've, we exceeded expectations this year. Coming into free agency, we've got a really good chance of bringing in a star. So next yeah. year, we're looking to be a playoff team again, probably a higher seed, hopefully a higher seed. Yeah, hopefully not an eight seed again. <laughs> it'd just be a rerun against the Warriors. Well, if Durant leaves, then maybe not. But I, honestly, just a take on that, I think if Durant leaves and the other day, they could still be the number one seed. Yeah, they were before he came. Yeah, 
I mean, I mean, this boggy injury, for me, it makes it a little bit more likely that he does another one-year deal. Yeah. And I, it's either a one-year deal with them or likely stays in state knowing that he's going to be in the postseason no matter what. Because, I mean, even if that team loses Steph Curry, or not Steph Curry, even if they lose Clay Thompson and Durant, they're still going to make the postseason. Yeah, they're not as dangerous, but they're definitely still going to be a force. Yeah. I mean, I think Draymond's, um, he's always a menace under D. He makes it difficult for anybody to score, honey. And Curry can just put up shots from anywhere. And for some yeah. reason, their bench players step up as well. So mm-hmm. personally, I see B- Boogie. I was going to say Biggie. That's what I was listening to before this podcast. But, um, yeah. Boogie, man, I think he's either going to do a one year deal there or he's going to maybe go to the Lakers, which I don't yeah. see as likely, but LeBron's going to be trying to get his hands on any all star he can. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, from a Clipper fan to another. Would you be interested in bringing in Boogie on a one year deal? On a one year deal? If we're. It all depends what happens. If Vucevic like re-ups with the magic or goes somewhere else and say we do make an offer for Adams and it doesn't come through, then I think he wouldn't be a terrible guy to bring in. But his attitude in the locker room is questionable. Yes, very. His injury history is questionable, but so is Gallows. And Gallows done well this year. So it just depends on, I mean, is he going to clash with Beverly? It'd be interesting to see. I think he'd definitely be an upgrade on what we already have. Yeah. And, I mean, if you can somehow get him and sign on the mid-level exception, who's to say we don't get Vucevic and him? Yeah, now all of a sudden you're stacked at the five. You can start yeah. running ridiculous matchups. And teams like, um, the one team that I find a lot of teams in the West struggle with personally is Detroit. They're not a great team, but they're two big bodies in Blake and Drummond. So being able to throw two big bodies back on them kind of nullifies that. It's not something we've got to worry about two games a year. It's not an issue. But it would be nice to be able to counteract that sort of style of play as well. Yeah. Which is one thing with why I was surprised that the Pelicans let Boogie so easily. I, I just didn't really understand why they did that because I think that team would have been a playoff team again, even with him being hurt. When he would have came back in December or whenever he came back, I think they would have been seven or eight seed yeah it was really strange how that happened apparently they made him an offer but it wasn't what he was expecting or something yeah. like that yeah and then he takes a mid-level exception in golden state which i was just like okay see i saw that from um from a business standpoint he knows that he's got a reputation for being a bad locker room guy so if he can go to a team like the warriors and still win and not have any locker room yeah. issues for a year it kind of negates that narrative yeah it negates the narrative that hey this guy's just gonna ruin I said this when he went down too I said it's kind of a blessing in disguise to them that he went down I mean when he's on the floor to me they're just not good well he was minus 17 in game one he was getting torn to shreds by Lua Montrez yeah and I mean when you have an injury basically like Kobe had where your leg your knee are just gone and you're that tall, you're not going to move the same. No, the good thing about Boogie is he can spot up from outside, but his shot's been off. That takes a while to come back. Yeah. Um, It does do well. Let's not give him like too much of a bad rep, yeah. but 
he was definitely a negative for that team, which was a negative for us when he got injured because that was one piece we could really exploit. Yeah. And one thing with me is, I mean, if you sit here and you sign a guy like Vucevic or whoever, and then you bring in Cousins, you can put him on the bench. Is he going to be happy about that? Probably not. But you can put him on the bench at the beginning of the season and say, hey, let, let's let us groom yourself a little bit. That way you don't hurt yourself. And then, I mean, could you imagine a starting lineup of Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Landry Shamit, Kawhi Leonard, DeMarcus Cousins at the four and Vucevic at the five? I mean, that's scary. Yeah, I'm comfortable moving forward with that lineup. Whether it's, and it gives flexibility for next year as well. If we've got him at the four, gives us chance yeah. to scout some draft prospects, look yeah. around at free agency, who looks like they're going to resign, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, for me, it's... Honestly, I've been a fan of Vucevic since he's been in Orlando, like, forever. I, I've always liked him, and I honestly wish the Clippers would prioritize him first, which they won't, but I wish they would. Just because, I mean, yeah, this was the first time he was an all-star, but he just looked great this year. Yeah, he held his own against everyone he came up with. Yeah. Personally, I think he's one of the best additions that we could make. Outside yeah, of obviously, unless ideal scenarios, we go and get Durant and Kawhi, or we might mm-hmm. even try and make a run at Kyrie. Personally, I don't want to look yeah. at guards because I don't want to stunt SGA. Yeah, and that's one thing too is there's a lot of guards this year in this like in this class that are really touted. Like you have Kemba, you have Kyrie, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, there's a bunch of guys up there, but I don't. I would rather pass on a guard. And just let SGA do what he's doing because you give SGA, I think, three or more, four more years, he's going to be an awesome. Just the way he plays and the way he like kind of maneuvers himself, he's going to be fine. Yeah, the confidence on that kid's crazy. Oh yeah, and a lot of people are already comparing his game to Westbrook and I mean other guys that like just drive the pain and go and do what they want to do. And I mean, yeah, is he like Westbrook? No, he's not going to be a triple double machine, but. He has kind of that same tenacity that Russell Westbrook has where he's like, hey, literally, I am against you one-on-one. I can score on Yeah, a couple more years, he's going to add some, some muscle to that frame and he's yeah. going to be able to really bulldoze his way through. I said it on the last podcast, actually, where uh, the one major thing I'd like him to work on, personally, now I ain't a coach, but is I feel he shows the ball too much when he drives. It leads to him getting stripped. Happened a lot in yeah. game two, actually. And, I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, he does kind of expose the ball a little bit. I'd say also, like, if he can develop a shot, that's going to be – that would be scary. If he can just get a shot going. I mean, he had it going in game four, but if he can get his shot going, like, consistently, I don't see many guys that are going to be able to burn him. No, because you're either going to come up close and he's going to blow past you or you're going to sag off, he's going to hit on you. it causes matchup dilemmas all the way through. That's why a stretch five would help, or at least a stretch four, so when he can kick out to when he does those drives and the D collapses. Yeah. And I mean, the dude's six six, so realistically, if you wanted to put him at small forward at some point, you could. Yeah, and he'd hold his own once he's added some more muscle. I think at the moment he'd get bullied. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, like if you put him against Durant right now, Durant would probably fifty points on him. It's a learning experience, though. Throw him in with the shark, see how he swims. Yeah. 
I mean, what yeah. do you see for game five? Do you see any match ma- matchup changes to try and get these guys some experience? Um, I mean, realistically, with the younger guys, you can't really. I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander, him going experience. I think we can both agree on that. It's a bad experience. That's all. Yeah, that is. it's a bad experience, but I mean, he'll learn from it one way or another. Um, Shamit guarding, I mean, Beverly guarding everybody, he doesn't need experience on how to guard people. But Landry Shamit, he's not really known for his defense, and I don't think he ever will be. Which has also led me to believe that I also think we should target a shooting guard in free agency. Like a Jeremy Lamb or somebody that can go out there and actually just kind of match up better with guys who are 6'6 at the 2. Because, I mean, Shamit's just a small guy, but he's not known for his defense at all. And then Jerome Robinson was getting minutes in game four, and, I mean, he was doing okay. A lot of people don't really talk about it just because of what SGA was doing, but I think Jerome Robinson kind of showed, hey, like, I'm here too. Yeah, he came out and showed that, especially the the beginning of the third. Yeah. He, he hasn't done battle um, coming off the bench in very limited minutes. A two guard that's available this year is Rodney Hood. Yeah, Rodney Hood would be awesome. I mean, I don't think well, he's going to command that much of a contract offer. Maybe like eight to ten. His, I, I mean, he might go back to Portland though. Yeah, Portland are doing well right now. Oh yeah. So I mean, oof, I don't know about Portland though. I think if you get offered the chance to come into what LA is building, that's the one thing I'm really confident with. With what they're building and how they're going about it and the ownership in place and the entire front yeah. office, I don't think there's a team more appealing at the moment for somebody who wants to come in and get in on the ground floor of a franchise that's about to really boom. Yeah. And I mean, you could also add it to your resume, say three years from now we sign quiet. I mean, this year, say he wins a title. I mean, you're going to be the first player in Clipper history to lead a team to a title. I mean, that's something that you could put on your resume and nobody else could say that you did. Yeah, it's you're writing your own history, you etching your name into Clippers folklore. I think Rodney Hood would be great, whether he's coming off the bench or he's starting and Shamit comes off the bench. But that's two solid shooters playing at the two position. It just yeah. adds those options, especially if you did bring in like a, a J.R. Smith as well. All of a sudden, you've got really dangerous sharpshooters all over the place. Yeah, and the thing is, Rodney Hood is he's six seven, so I mean he could also guard the three, and I mean in some cases the four. But that's the thing. I'm one of those guys where I love those players who not exactly are like freaks at their position height wise, but can like basically go anywhere. Like Shea Gilgis Alexander, when he gets muscle on him, being six six, he can basically guard three positions on the floor. Or being like six seven, six eight, it's small uh, shooting guard. You can basically guard anybody on the floor. Which is why one guy that if the Clippers were to get in the draft night, one guy that I'd love us to get would be DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. Because he had an amazing tournament. And, I mean, you see him. He, he's just a bigger guy, and he plays a two and a three, but he's six foot eight. And guys like that are rare that can shoot and play defense, but be that tall on guard three positions. And getting guys like, if you could have multiple guys on the team like that, that'd be pretty scary. It adds the switchability, that positionless basketball that's really coming to effect now. And you've got to embrace it because it's the way the league's moving. 
So yeah. if you can have three or four of those guys on your roster that can just switch across three or four different positions defensively mm-hmm. and offensively, then it puts you in a really strong position, especially come playoff time where scheming against the other team really comes into play. Are we good? Yeah, did I cut out? Yeah, I just disconnected randomly. (laughs) Yeah, it happens sometimes. Don't worry, I'll fix that. But yeah, what I was saying was um, having those guys, the three or four players that can switch between multiple positions, both defense and offense, when it comes to the playoffs and just scheming against other teams, having that switchability really comes in hand, especially during late games and later on in a series. Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you think about it in terms of right now against the Warriors, if you have a guy like, let's say, Steph Curry and Durant are running a pick and roll, but you have Shea Gillis Alexander and, say, Rodney Hood, you get you switch Rodney Hood on the Curry, you're not exactly as scared as if you're switching whoever, I mean, Shaman it on Curry. Like, it's kind of like one of those things where you're not, like, pick and rolls dominate the NBA and have dominated basketball for years. And I would love to have a team where I can be confident in my guy switching and you just see like, okay, well, we don't have to worry about mismatches all over the floor. Yeah, because Shamit gets caught on an island, dude. You saw it in the last game against Claire. And I mean, for him, he can't really do anything because his, I mean, he wasn't blessed with a frame to play defense and he's not a defensive minded player. And Clay, I mean, you look at Clay; he's six seven, I think, versus Shamit, who's like six three, six four, maybe six five. But it's just not a good look for him when he's. I mean, yeah, people are gonna berate him like he can't play defense or whatever. But when you shoot like you do, it's okay. When you're hitting those shots, I mean, the first game I found in game one, I found he just wasn't getting looks. They were really, really game planning on him, making sure it, especially after the week before when it was still regular season and he went off. Yeah, when he had the 15 points in like one quarter, I think. Yeah, he was just raining freeze. And that's what he can give you. Preferably, that would be better coming off the bench. Yeah, easily. I, I mean, I would love for Shamet to like, and I'd love for Doc to experiment with that too. Especially in game five, just because it's the end of the season. I mean, I try to be an optimistic guy, but I'm thinking game five is going to be it. So why not experiment? But I would love to see Shamit come off the bench and then you stick in a guy like maybe Wilson Chandler or, or even Jerome Robinson in there in the starting five instead. So that would be uh, SGA, Beverly, either Chandler or Robinson. Um, Jermichael Green and Gallinari. I think that matches up better against Golden State just because Wilson Chandler or Robinson or Temple can go out there and just stick Durant at least a little bit. Yeah, it adds that more, adds that extra dimension. It adds that dimension where you can kind of push Durant onto his weak, well he doesn't really have a weak hand, but you know what I mean push him onto his weak spots a bit more, whereas with Shamit, what you're trying to do constantly is hide him on defence, and you're always going to leave a man open when you're doing that Yeah, and I mean realistically when you look at ESPN, I know ESPN's not exactly right all the time our starters in game 4 were power forward small forward, point guard, point guard point guard, and against a team that has a 
guy who's basically seven foot and can dribble like a point guard, it's not going to end well. Do you think he's the best player in the league right now? Kevin Durant? No. Who are you going for? Kawhi? Nope. Giannis. You like Giannis, yeah? I think Giannis is the best player in the league just because he, I mean, everybody's talked about him all year. To me, if you're going to want to sit here and have my MVP take, he kept Milwaukee as a one and two seed the entire year, albeit in the easier conference, but he kept them up there all year. They had numerous injuries with Chris Middleton, Brogdon, and all these other guys that got knocked out. I mean, he's putting up Shaquille O'Neal numbers with more assists. And he's actually, if you watch them here and there, he makes shots from distance. He just doesn't shoot them that much because he knows that he can't. So, I mean, a lot of people say Durant just because he can shoot anywhere and everywhere, but I still think Giannis, at this point in time, is the best player in the league. But it's not very, like, it's not one of those things where I could definitively say I would pick Giannis over Durant to start a franchise, if that makes sense. Yeah, you just feel that at the moment, skill set-wise, he has the little bit of an advantage. And I mean, because, like, if you see Giannis, I mean, that's what I'm hoping the finals is, is Bucks Warriors, because I think the Bucks match up the best against Golden State, just in terms of them or Toronto. Like, I'm praying that Philly does not play the Warriors in the finals, because if they do, they're going to get demolished. What do you think about Boston? You don't think Boston are going to match up well? I just don't see Boston getting past Milwaukee. No, me either, to be honest with you. I feel that Boston are the deeper team. Um, if it's going to be about, if they can find a way of keeping Giannis honest and keeping him within a certain region, maybe the 15 to 20 points a game, yeah. I think they have a chance, especially when they've got Kyrie. Hayward really done well last game. So if he yeah. can keep that level of play along with Horford, and I'm a big Tatum fan. So. I've all- I love Tatum. Yeah, so I think that Boston are more dangerous in depth, but for sheer star ability, then Giannis is he's going to literally have to will this team to beat the Celtics, and then probably do that again against Toronto. Yeah, and that's that's the other interesting thing about the Clippers offseason, is we kind of need to root for Toronto to lose early, because I yeah. think that'll influence Kawhi to leave. A lot, because if they make the finals, I think he'll stay. Yeah, if they make the finals and lose, he's going to see that as, oh, well, I'll come back next year and try and do it again. Because it's the same scenario. He's going to sign there. If they win, then he goes down a legend. If they don't, they're still getting further than they ever did with DeRozan. That, and I mean, you've got to think about it too. If Durant and Clay leave, you have an even better chance of winning next year because if the, the teams in the East stay the same, like, Milwaukee might lose a lot of players after the season, like with Eric Bledsoe and that. I mean, you got to think with Kawhi's situation right now. What, I mean, are you gauging, oh, I want to go live closer to home in L.A., or do I want the easier road to the finals? Which says a lot about his character. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, Toronto is a scary team, dude. Siakam, Gasol, Kawhi. Lowry, not so much in the playoffs, but they're, they're probably the deepest team in the league, period. Oh, oh, yeah. And they're full of defensive studs, dude. What is it, three or four players there have been like defensive player of the year or all defensive team? Yeah. I think it's in their starting lineup alone, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Saul. I mean, those three alone, just that's defense, defense, defense. 
just to throw out a hypothetical, imagine if you sub Kyle Lowry out and put Patrick Beverly in that lineup. Nobody's scoring on the team. No, it's going to be like 20. You're going to hit 20 a whole game. See, I can do most improved player. He's the one who's impressed me the most throughout the playoffs so far. Yeah, easily. And one thing that a lot of people, the one thing that I bring up too with the whole Kawhi thing is Siakam is a free agent next year from what I know, not next like the 2020 free agency. It would be interesting to see if Toronto says, hey, let's just go and build around Siakam, let Kawhi walk and then save our cap space for him. And then let Lowry walk too and just kind of move towards like, cause I think they were more getting Kawhi this year for an all in kind of thing. Like, oh, we just want to try to see if we can win it this year. And if we can't, oh, well, we just, we lose Kawhi and then just move on. Yeah. Cause they didn't know what they had in the Siakam really. I mean, you knew he was good, but they didn't know he was going to turn out to be this good. Uh, he's got better as the season's gone on. So it's less of a hit now if Kawhi does leave. Yeah. And, I mean, if you look at, even if Kawhi leaves Toronto, I mean, that team's still easily 100% a playoff team in the in the East. No doubt. Oh, for sure, dude. Yeah. I mean, there's not, you've got Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, and then the talent level, oh, and Philly, and then the talent level drops considerably for the remaining seeds. And, I mean, if you look at their roster, one guy that I always wondered with Toronto that a lot of people forgot about is OG Ananobi, that kid from Indiana that's only, like, 21, and his whole game is defense. And he's, I mean, like I said, he's only 21 years old and making $2 million. I mean, that'd be, I mean, you lose Kawhi and just throw him in the starting, in the starting lineup, who's to say, like, he doesn't develop into the next Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, he was really hyped coming into the year as well. Nobody yeah. was talking about Siakam. Everyone was talking about OG. And now, yeah, now that's completely flipped. So who's to say OG doesn't do the same thing? On, I mean, who's to say he doesn't do the same thing with Kawhi leaves? And you have to step up when you have these spots. Like when a star leaves, somebody yeah. has to step up. So it's always good to have a guy like that that's defense minded because you can't. You can teach how to score. You can't teach how to really, really put the effort in on D. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, look at Beverly. Nobody taught him how to be like that. Nobody told him that pit bull mentality to have. He just developed it. So what, So moving forward, just to look at um, game five. So you're expecting us to – you're expecting it to be the last game of the series. I'm of a similar mindset. From there, who do you see moving forward in the next matchup? So who do I see moving forward in terms of, like, all the series? Yeah, so Golden State moved forward against us, and then who do you see actually being in the Western Conference Finals is basically what I'm trying to get at. Western Conference Finals? Well, I mean, with San Antonio and Denver, they're tied right now at the time. Like, at the time of this podcast, they're tied right now. Um. Just as an aside for, like, let's see if it happens tomorrow, like, by tomorrow. But I think Portland closes out Oklahoma City tonight. I think that loss in OKC killed them. And, I mean, you got to think with Portland, they're kind of on this little mini revenge tour. They haven't won a play. I mean, before this series, they didn't want a playoff game in three years. Like, I mean, they got swept in the fir- out of the first round the last two, two years before the series. So, I mean, and I mean, if San Antonio beats Denver, Portland's easily the favorite to get there. So, I'm, I mean, 
likely-wise, I'd say Golden State and Portland. But Denver also still has the star power to get there. But I would, if I, if I was to bet on my life on it right now, I'd say Golden State and Portland. That's kind of how I see it. I like Portland as well. I think they're a good team. I'm always happy when I see Westbrook go out early just because I don't like his attitude. <laughs> it's entertaining to watch. I just, uh, I think he carries himself a bit too arrogantly for my liking. Well, one thing about him too right now is if he never wins a t- I mean, I don't think his legacy is going to leave a track record of winning, if that makes sense. His yeah, Westbrook's out for Westbrook, be, dude. I mean, I think his legacy is going to be Oh, yeah, he dropped triple-doubles three years in a row. Okay? But did he win a championship? And in a personal opinion, and I listened to this on the Bill Simmons podcast yesterday, they were talking about it. I don't think, if he, if he stays in OKC for his entire career, I don't think he's ever going to win a championship. No, and I don't see him leaving OKC just because of how much kind of franchise control he has. It just doesn't make sense to me when you've got that much of a say around a franchise. It's almost LeBron-esque, if you really want to compare it to somebody. Like, he can go out there and say and do whatever he wants, and OKC won't trade. No, they'll have his back. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, he's talking. Like, imagine if he, like, in this offseason, for some reason, he just randomly starts trashing Paul George for no reason, just as a hypothetical. I mean, they'd trade Paul George in a heartbeat before they would trade Russell Westbrook, which is just unfathomable. It's it's simply because he it was him and Durant. Durant left, Westbrook re-upped his contract, and I think they feel compelled to kind of show that same level of loyalty back. And I agree. And it's it's but one thing to me, and that's why we were talking about the uh, Gallo and Stephen Adams trade. Is that we both like me and Ryan and a bunch of other people at Clippers think that if they get a guy like Gallo, that would help them a lot, just because Stephen Adams isn't really he's been looking bad in the series, and it's just it's not a good look for him. But I honestly think it's more of a system thing. But, I mean, you got, that's one thing too that a lot of people don't understand about the Western Conference. The whole tide of the Western Conference can change this summer with the snap of the finger. I mean, if you, if you sit here on July 1st and the Clippers signed Iran and Kawhi, they're the immediate number one seed in the Western Conference. Like, that's just, in my opinion. No, I think that's guaranteed. They signed both of them two guys. They're the best team in the West. Yeah, and then, I mean, if you think about it, then you, let's say, another duo like Jimmy Butler and Clay Thompson go to, or hell, Kyrie and Jimmy Butler go to the Lakers, you all of a sudden have a actual battle of L.A. You have Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant versus LeBron James, Kyle Kuzma, Jimmy Butler, and Kyrie Irving. That's big-ticket box office every single night in Staples Center for a hundred or a hundred and whatever, I think forty four. I don't know how to, I'm terrible at math. Hundred and sixty four. Yeah, hundred and sixty four games in Staples Center. Eight of those games, or yeah, eight of those games, or four of those games are L.A. versus L.A. I mean, that's just that's just box office. And I mean, that would just be ridiculous to see those two teams probably be the top two or three seeds in the West. Just at the snap of a finger. 
That's why this free agency class is going to change everything. I mean, New York are going to be players as well. You can't forget yeah. that. They're dysfunctional as fuck, but they're going to be players. That's true, yeah. It's what happens when James Dolan is your owner. <laughs> yeah, it screws up your entire world, man. Which goes back to what you were saying before, though, is like, I mean, you look at the four teams that all have max slots right now. The Clippers, Lakers, Nets, and Knicks. The Lakers are dysfunctional as hell. We've seen that over the last month or so with Magic Johnson and all that. The Knicks are dysfunctional. But the thing is with those two is they just have name recognition and they're using it. The Nets, you can't really say anything bad about the Nets right now because they have that whole fiasco with Boston and now they're just now getting finally out of it. And they did a great job, in my opinion, getting out of it. And I mean, but of those four teams, the Clippers have the best front offense. By a long shot, by miles, by absolute yeah. miles. Jerry West, you saw what Jerry West started in Golden State, which we have to give Bob Myers. But Jerry West was a big guy in instructing that big four. Um, Michael Winger has done great work. Lawrence Frank has done amazing things. Honestly, the best move I think the Clippers have made in the last 10 years is moving Doc Rivers out of the front office, just because he's not a front office guy to me at all. No, and credit to Bulmer for that. He knows what he wants. He made a decision, yeah. and he risked. He took a risk. I mean, Duck could have took that in the wrong way and left. Yeah. And how many guys, how many teams could say their owners are billionaires? There's, I mean, like, Bulmer is just richer than almost everybody in the NBA. I think he's richer than almost everybody in the world. Yeah, and I mean, you look at that, and it's like, you're literally standing across the tape, and it's not even, but now that's the other thing that I always get in with Bomber. He's rich as hell, but he cares. Like, he generally cares about the Los Angeles Clippers as an organization. He doesn't just see it as green dollar bills. He sees it as, this is a team that a lot of people in L.A. have seen as a little stepbrother to the Lakers, and he wants to change that. And I mean, if I'm a player, and I obviously being a Clipper fan, and kind of biased in this, but if I'm a player looking across the table from this guy and he's sitting here jumping up and down, being a lunatic about the Clippers, I want to play for that. Yeah, you see it in his face when he's on the state when he's at the stadium. You saw yeah. it in game. Well, you've seen it in every game in the series. The guy yeah. is animated in the in the stands. You can see every basket against us hurts him. And every basket for us really, really lights a fire under the guy. Yeah, I mean, no offense to any other owners in the league, but I mean, when you think of the most animated owners, you think of Steve Ball. Yeah, he's the first I mean, guy that comes to your mind. Yeah, and I mean, you saw him on, I don't like a few months ago when he was on NBA on TNT, he was messing with Shaq and Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and all of them, just having a good old time. And I think he firmly believes that the Clippers are a top destination. I mean, because, I mean, you saw it in every single trade rumor this year. Jimmy Butler, we were rumored to get Jimmy Butler before he got traded to Philly. Kristaps Porzingis was on our list before he got traded to Dallas. We dodged a bullet with that one. Yeah, we did. I I, I agree a lot. Cause I I'm not a huge fan. I like Porzingis, but having that injury is tough. That's... That's really tough. He's frail as well. His frame doesn't ever look like it's going to beef up. 
And now with all the, the law cases against him and everything, it was just a, a really good body to Dutch. And the thing that scares the Mavs right now is he can leave generally. He, he can just say, yeah, I do not want to play in Dallas. Yeah, the only thing that makes me think he'll stay is because he'll get to play with Doncic. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't pass up playing with Doncic either, like, especially the way he plays. And I mean, you go back to talking about the Clippers getting stretch fives. I mean, if Porzingis is there and would take a lot less money, I'd take him, but I wouldn't give him the money he's going to ask for. No, and I don't think he can warrant that money. He's never he's never proved that he can last a full NBA season. Yeah, he's not battle tested deep into the playoffs. Personally, yeah. for me, I think when you're handing out those sort of contracts, you need to be sure that that guy can a stay on the court for the year, and b he can really start producing once the just playoffs get deep and you know it starts getting a bit more gritty. And I mean, you go back to like what we were talking about. With, um... I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure his history injury-wise, but I think he's played like almost every game and every, or almost nearly every game and every season. Who, who, Paul Zingas? Or uh, Vucevic. Oh yeah, Vucevic is solid, dude. Yeah. He's hardly ever right. Yeah, I mean, 28, this year he played 80 games, last year 57, the year before 75, the year before that 65, the year before that 74. I mean, yeah, the fifth, the fifty-seven is kind of like a iffy one, but but it's an outlier. It's not. Yeah. It, it's the one season. It's not like Gallo or Porzingis, where it's every season they miss a considerable stretch of action. Joel Embiid's another guy like that too that gets hurt a lot. Yeah, these big guys, man, they either have knee issues or back issues, and either one of those two things really puts a cloud over them. Happened with Jared Sullinger. Do you remember him? Yeah, Sullinger. Yeah. He, he was really just a good. big boy. He just wouldn't lose weight, dude. But he had back and knee injuries, and that he was good, dude. He could rebound. He could stretch the floor. He just never looked after his body. Mm-hmm. So and that's I, about it. Unless there's anything else you want to cover today. Um. Well, I mean, I just went on ESPN and saw something that said the Warriors were focused on the Clippers and ready for the Rockets, but didn't the Rockets lose last night? Yes. They did. I mean, who's to say the Jazz don't come back and the Rockets blow a 3-0 lead? I can't see it happening personally. I mean, I like the Rockets. From my perspective, I don't see them going past Golden State, but I no. don't think they're going to fall to the Jazz over the course of the series. No. And honestly, I would say this, too, with Golden State. this could, like If they play Houston, that's going to be the toughest second-round series they've had in a yeah, I mean, Houston, Houston took them all the way the other season, didn't they? And then CP3 got yeah. hurt. Last year, and then they shot 0 for 27 from 3. I do think that the the Rockets are like a kryptonite to Golden State, but I don't think yeah. they're going to be... I don't see how with CP3 a year older, they're going to yeah. overcome Golden State. I just can't see it happening. I might be wrong. Six games, I think. I think the Rockets just ride Harden for a long time, like uh, like at least two games, and he just goes ballistic and scores like 45 for some reason. And, I mean, but everybody keeps saying this is the most vulnerable team Golden State has had in this little run, but even with that, I don't see them losing. Would the Rockets ride Harden? Golden State ride Clay? 
They ride yeah. Draymond, they ride Kevin, they ride Steph. It, yeah, it's so just a different level. Guy versus four, it's exactly. And it's four all stars. It's not four really good players. It's four all stars. Mm-hmm. It's unfair, like, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And I mean, Golden State reminds me of. Um, they remind me a lot of. Just because I've lived in Georgia my whole life, they remind me a lot of when Atlanta had that, like, five like five player super team that could never get past anything in the postseason. Like when they had Jeff Teague, Kyle Corver, Damari Carroll, Paul Millsap, and Al Horford, and it was literally like, how is anybody going to stop this team? I mean, obviously the Hawks got stopped a lot, but it was just Golden State reminds me of that team just upgraded a little bit. Yeah, it's just like added a bit of um. Teague with Curry, you just replaced Corver with Thompson, you replaced Carroll with Durant, you replaced Millsap with Draymond, and then you replaced Horford with Bogut. Yeah, and everyone apart from the Bogut Horford was an upgrade. That's yeah. the thing. And it's it's ridiculous. And my dad, who doesn't he doesn't follow basketball that much anymore. He usually just watches during the playoffs. But he's like, "How do they do all this under the salary cap?" And I said, "Well, first they don't. They just take the hit every year in the off season." And one thing that a lot of people like, of course, I don't like Golden State, but a lot of people you have to give their front office respect. The only guy they ever signed was Durant. Durant and Cousins. All the other guys, like Curry, Thompson, and Draymond, were all draft picks. Yeah, all again, Jerry West had a hand in that. Really yeah. good scouting. I mean, Steph, damn, Steph had a really rough start to his career. But yeah. they stayed with him. They had faith. And this is the thing that a lot of teams do. They draft these guys, and when it doesn't work out in the first year, all of a sudden they're a bust. And I don't like that. I do think that some players do take a little bit longer to mature. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that as a Clippers fan that just killed time is that we had. I mean, of course, at the time, Malik Griffin was easily the better choice, in my opinion, at number one. And Blake Griffin obviously had an amazing career with the Clippers and still having an amazing career in Detroit. But you look now, I mean, if they were to do like one of those redrafts, I'm pretty sure Curry would easily be the number one pick in that draft class. Yeah, he just slipped because of his height. Oh, yeah. Which happens. But, dude, I want to thank you for coming on. And guys, you've been listening to the Clipper Pulse podcast. You'll catch us towards the end of the week. We'll be doing our Ready Ask Me Anything. And we'll catch you again soon. Peace.